Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. My friends, I want to take a quick moment to give you a special invitation. If you enjoy the Live Inspired podcast, what would you say to joining me live once a month? And not just joining me, but hundreds of other like-minded Live Inspired community members. And what if you could do it from the comfort of your own home? My friends, Live Inspired in studio with John O'Leary is exactly this, a gathering of our Live Inspired community members once a month for a live inspirational webcast. Let's do life together. Registration for in-studio only happens twice a year. And here's a secret, it's opening soon. Don't miss it. Sign up right now. Be one of the very first to know when Live Inspired in-studio registration opens. You can go right now, check it out. It's at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. One more time, it's johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. Earlier this year, and we launched this one in May, we had the opportunity to interview one of my favorite authors, speakers, creators, creators, artists. His name, and you remember him, is Eric Wall. For those who missed it, though, check out episode 80 because Eric rocked. It's an awesome episode. But in addition to leaving a mark on me and able to leave a friend in Eric, I also got to meet and was deeply moved by his beautiful wife, his bride, Tara Wall. As I was saying goodbye to Tara at her house with Eric right next to her, I said, hey, listen, if there was one guest that you think I should have on my podcast, who would it be? And the name they both shared at the same time was a woman named Amy Jo Martin. My friends, it is Amy Jo Martin today that we have the opportunity of bringing into your life, into your podcast stereo, into your living room, into your bus commute, into your lives. She's got a remarkable story. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's an entrepreneur, an angel investor, and a fellow podcaster. Forbes has named Amy Jo the third most powerful woman on Twitter. She's got an audience of over, over a million followers. She's got an awesome podcast. Why not now? You got to check it out. She's recently interviewed guests such as Tony Robbins, Mark Cuban, Jessica Alba, just to name drop a little bit. She's phenomenal. Today, you're going to hear a little bit of her story, a little bit of what motivates her forward professionally and personally. As you listen, though, I ask you right now to open wide your hearts and your minds, open up your journals, open up your pens, get ready to take notes. Because Amy Jo is really ultimately not here to brag about her. She's here to share the lessons she's learned and ultimately what they mean to you. It's going to be stuff that you can take away, that you can apply, that will transform the trajectory of your life and of your business. So my friends, buckle up because here we go. Amy Jo is ready to rock and roll. I ask you now to sit back and welcome aboard our newest friend, Amy Jo Martin. Amy Jo, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Well, thank you for having me. I am excited to have this conversation with you and just to connect. Well, it's, it's our pleasure. And Amy Jo, for those who are not yet familiar with you, 
Give us a snapshot of where you are today. Uh, how about physically first? I know you're in an unusual part of the United States. I am. I've, um, I've been sampling nature over the last couple of years. I moved to the Black Hills National Forest in South Dakota. So I live in the forest, literally, and sometimes mm-hmm. see more animals in a day than people. <laughs> We're about 15 minutes from Uh, Mount Rushmore. Mm. And prior to this, I lived on a boat in San Diego. So going from one extreme to the other. You uh, you didn't grow up on a boat, though. You didn't grow up really in North Dakota. From what I've read and understand, you grew up in Green River, Wyoming. Is that accurate? It's partially accurate. So um, two things. Green River, well, first of all, I moved a lot when I was younger. My family and I, we lived in a trailer home and we lived all over Wyoming and Kansas and Arizona. So there were a lot of changes and uh, different schools that we attended. But it is true. I was born in just outside of Green River, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Talk about that moving. Uh, sometimes moving can be a very positive thing for a little one. Other times it can be fairly traumatic. What was it like for you? Yeah, you know, something I've reflected a lot on since I've gotten older. And I attribute... You know, a lot of things that have gone very well in my life um, to moving often and being comfortable with getting uncomfortable and adapting, getting curious, and kind of, I would say I have a little bit of an addiction to change. Hmm. So those aren't necessarily terrible things. Um, at the time, of course, as a child, it's not always fun to leave mid-school season. We are mm-hmm. friends, but it was it became kind of a, a known thing that we were going to be moving pretty often because my father's job. Amy, was, was there a primary influence in your, in your life as a child, whether it's a teacher or a parent or a sibling, a friend? Yeah, I would say my, you know, immediate family because we were like a little traveling crew. So my mom and my dad and my brother, um, definite big influences in my life. And those would be the first that come to mind. How did a young lady who moved quite a bit end up choosing Arizona State University as her uh, as her next step later on in life? Sure. So I graduated from high school in a small town called Bullhead City, Arizona, across the Colorado River from Laughlin, Nevada, which is a small right, little right. town. And um and I got a scholarship to go to ASU. So it was a, uh, a great reason to go and full-ride academic scholarship to the number one party school in America. That's right. <laughs> so that's where I headed. I had a choice between U of A and ASU, so Tucson or Phoenix. And I thought, Phoenix just sounds like more fun. Um, so that was the logic. A very intense rationale. <laughs> right. In, in addition to a little bit of sunshine and maybe a little bit of partying, what was the best part of your experience from ASU? Oh, that's a great question. If I had to narrow it down, you know, I learned a lot about uh, a lot about myself because I had always lived in small towns, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, I mean, some were very small. All of a sudden, I'm on a campus. And there are more than 100,000 people that attend that college in the middle of a huge city. So I think there was just this not only growing up from a 
you know, moving out of the house and living on your own for the first time, but it was this huge adjustment of, wow, there's a big world here and anything is possible, but also a little scary. You know, I've read, AIM, that you loved brands like Coca-Cola products, not not just the way they taste, but the way they appeared, if you will. And talk about that for a moment. Where, Where did your love of branding come from as a, as a, as a young lady? Yeah. Wow. Look at your research. I appreciate your No, I think you've got a great... And this is just, hey, we're pouring the foundation. We are about to start going up with this. I I think your backstory is so informative in who you became and in what you're doing today. It really is, John. And I appreciate you bringing this up because it's... When I was even in high school, I started to develop a little bit of a crush on brands, meaning logos. I was fascinated with this concept of Nike and how people could feel so strongly about a graphic and a product and a brand, ultimately. So that's what drove me to study marketing. Uh, And I just, I don't know if I realized at the time that brands have personality at, you know, in my high school, early college, of course, I started to learn that, but I felt it. I felt how... I felt when I saw their product or logo and mm-hmm. and I just thought it was really fascinating. It was like it was a person or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You you graduated not long after. You you get a pretty awesome job with the NBA's Phoenix Suns. T- talk about that experience. Yeah, you know, right even before that I worked for an advertising agency and was able to work with all of the professional sports teams in town, so the Arizona Diamondbacks Phoenix Suns, Arizona Cardinals, and Phoenix Coyotes, NHL. And in different respects, I was able to get a peek into the pro sports world, which was really neat, and then able to transition over and work for the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. And it was it was just this kind of surreal moment where I was able to, to kind of see that up close and personal feeling mm-hmm. that, or that, have that up close and personal feeling of uh, being close to one of those brands, like even closer. So uh, it was a, a great transition and what a ride <laughs> I was able to take with the Phoenix Suns. I definitely attribute my, um, my entrepreneurial launch from, from the Suns and some of the, the players at the time. Well, let's talk about one of those guys. Uh, you, your first real land, as I understand it, was a somewhat well-known celebrity. He's a little bit quieter, a little bit smaller and shorter. He's a basketball player named Shaquille O'Neal. Let's talk about the Shaq for a moment. How did you first get connected with Shaquille O'Neal? Sure. So I was working as the director of digital media and research for the Phoenix Suns in the front office, and I get a call one day. And it's from basketball operations, which mm-hmm. is a little odd if you're working in marketing in, in, for a pro right. sports team. You don't always get a call from basketball ops. So I answer it, and I hear, Amy Joe, come <laughs> down to the locker room right now. Shaquille O'Neal wants to learn how to tweet. <laughs> and nobody in this building knows what that means, evidently, except for you. And so it was this moment of, whoa. <laughs> First of all, you're not really supposed to, it's not really 
normal, you know, to go work directly with the players when you're in that type of position. So I thought for one moment, maybe I should ask my boss. Mm. And then I rethought and thought, I'll just ask forgiveness instead of permission on this one, because it sounds like a pretty fun thing. Right decision. And I took that. (laughs) Thank goodness, honestly, (laughs) because it's amazing what we do, what can happen when we just start uh, not looking for permission. And so I head down and meet Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot plus tall. Had you met him before, Amy Jo? Like had you met him in a one-to-one manner? I'd never met him before. So for those who realize that some of our listeners may not know, believe it or not, they may be one of three or so who don't know who Shaquille O'Neal is. Describe for us his physicality and why this is a name we probably should have known. Yeah, so Shaquille is a, you know, larger-than-life personality, and he's also larger-than-life, literally. He's, you know, seven-foot-plus tall, and he has a presence like just kind of a giant, but one of the nicest individuals you'll meet, too. So Mm. he's a basketball all-star, NBA all-star, has five rings, won, you know, plenty of championships, and, and really made a name for himself in basketball, what I find really fascinating, and I guess rightfully so, Mm -hmm. his personality transcends sports. He has the ability to really make people laugh. So you meet him and you just look up because he's up there. And um, he's the type of guy where eventually when we started working together closer, I remember one day he said, um, do you have a piece of gum? Mm -hmm. And I, I said, yeah. And I gave him a piece, and he shook his head, and he's in his loud, deep voice. He's like, oh, no, I chew three at a time <laughs> <laughs> because he's just so big, right? Everything is bigger. So it was um, – he's just, you know, he's a great guy. You uh, you start something with him, which was radically new at the time. Now, now you hear more stuff like this. It's maybe even common. But at, when you started this, Amy Joe, it was unheard of, I think. You called it random acts of shackness. Describe for our listeners what that means. Yeah, so he, Shaquille had wanted to start tweeting because there were quite a few imposters pretending to be him on Twitter. And I um, show him, you know, some things and I was trying to think about how he could own his own voice. And this was before there were verification mm-hmm blue check marks on Twitter accounts and um, really just came up with this idea, this very random strategy of what if we bridge the virtual world with the physical world and create these stunts where fans can know and we can prove to them it's you. For example, we'll call them random acts of shackness, kind of like random acts of kindness. And the first one was, He stood on the street corner of Camelback and 32nd in Phoenix, Arizona, a big intersection. And I said, what if you tweet your exact whereabouts and tell people where you are so they can come up, they can see you. And his first one was the directive of the first person to tag me, literally in in the physical world, get tickets to the game the next night. Mm -hmm. So he did this. There was no security, didn't tell anyone. 
And we were able to show him take photos and video and repurpose it. So everybody was like, no, this really is him, even if they weren't there. But a lot of fans showed up. The media shows up. And the next thing you know, it's on ESPN that night. Which, in your world, is about as big a hit as you're going to get through a, a simple tweet. Yeah, and it was also new. So this right. was 2008. And brands and individuals were trying to figure out how to harness social media. So it was this kind of experiment. And we started doing these things. And people were just watching, trying to learn and see what we would do next. Because we just knew we were... We're trying things, you know, and he has a personality that works very well on social media because he has zero ability to fake anything and he's as real as a get. So this was a prime Petri dish for social media. So, Amy Jo, you, you are doing this as his um, assistant through the Phoenix Suns in the office, but also as his partner and a little bit on your own, like... Is it odd to almost have three um, three bosses, if you know what I mean? Like, who ultimately are you re- reporting into when you're doing projects like this? <laughs> That's a great question. You know and what actually, I mean? I mean, it's odd. It's it's an odd. Who are you serving? It, it was very odd, and and to be completely honest with you, John, there was a lot of adversity and healthy tension about this because a, I wasn't asking a lot of permission. Mm-hmm. B. There were no rules for this yet. Zero. We didn't have a handbook. So everybody's kind of, even the attorneys for the team are like, well, I don't know, you know. And see, whenever you have something new and you're innovating, adversity follows. Mm. I mean, you look at some of the you know most famous innovators in the world, Steve Jobs, ben- Benjamin Franklin, you name it. Right. They all talk about, you know, the adversity and it's, just like a shadow, you kind of have to expect it. And that's what I had too, because this was new and everybody just was kind of looking at it like, I don't know if she should be doing that. Help it. That's a lot of, you know, that's a big voice and a lot of power. And so it was, it wasn't all roses. Let's Mm. put it that way. Mm -hmm. You heard a sentence at one point in your career, I believe it was with this organization, but it may have been a little bit after and I'd like you to tell me uh, what it meant to you and then what you ultimately did with it. So here, here's what I read and eventually even heard from you. The quote is this, work, family, self. Amy Jo, choose two because you can't have all three. Yep. <laughs> that was quite an impactful moment. Um, so one of my supervisors, who's female, actually wrote those three words on a piece of paper, work, family, self, and slid it across her desk and said, you know, I've tried. Choose two. You can't have all three. And it was, it wasn't a moment of her, um, you know, trying to do anything other than, I think she was just being Mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. You know, she really felt that way and kind of maybe trying to help me and give me a bit of a tip. And it didn't sit right with me, um, and I look back now. This has been, you know, a good ten years, and now I realize it wasn't from a place of malice or anything. Um, but it also, for a leader to say that, it was it was pretty pretty impactful because I just I didn't buy it. I 
mm-hmm. thought first, kind of jokingly, well, I wonder what HR would say about this. This is probably not good. Um, but I set out kind of on a mission right. to prove that philosophy wrong. You do set out on this mission. You you uh, have a few contacts in the Rolodex, and the, and the Rolodex grows with you. Uh, massive names, and I won't name drop all of them, but one of them is The Rock. You, you get to uh, help navigate his social media needs. Talk just for a moment about being a young, transient girl from Montana who is now buddy-buddy with The Shack in The Rock and just about every other big name that people have heard of. Like, Amy Jo, did, were there moments when you are about to walk into a meeting where you're like, dude, I, I do not belong in this room at all? There were, you know, looking back, I realized early on, especially, I think it was great that I worked in professional sports because I was the only female in a lot of rooms or conferences and stuff. So it was good primer, but I, I don't recall ever feeling like I didn't belong because I realized I had something. I knew something and, and had something to offer that they didn't have. And Mm. that was education and experience with social media. Mm-hmm. So that was the, you know, the pillar that I really leaned on. And there were times, many times where I'm in the room with just billionaires and I'm, you know, not even 30 yet. And I'm just thinking, you know, they, I'm here for a reason and that's to educate them or help them with something that they don't know. And in return, I always learned something from them too. Um, But there was a little trick (laughs) that I did realize. I, I painted my nails red, John, I know this sounds so silly, but for about like five years, because it was a reminder for me to, if I looked down at my nails or if I like was feeling at all, like I didn't belong, it was a reminder to look back up and own it. And just own right. it. And so that was kind of a funny, weird little uh, nuance that I didn't realize had so much impact, but it was a, it was just a trigger because usually when you start to lose a little confidence, your head goes down, right? Yes. And so I just picked it right back up. And so my uh, red nail polish <laughs> What our next Live Inspired community event, I'm going to have men and women from all walks of life coming up to me afterwards, hugging me with their red nail polish on. And <laughs> and to match, I'll have my, my red nail polish on my toes to, uh, to ensure that I'm also trying to keep my head up, looking forward in life, recognizing that you're worthy, that you're worthy. And, and yet, Amy Jo, sometimes we almost become victims of the success we desire. Uh, I, I had an opportunity more than a decade ago to spend some time actually as a hospital chaplain. And, and in one visit, I walked into the room of an executive who had nothing around him. Uh, the room was gray. This man was dying. And he says to me, John, I, uh, I realize as I look back on my life that I have raced and raced and raced and climbed the ladder of success. And as I've come to the end of it, I have realized that I've leaned my ladder the entire time against the wrong wall, which is a pretty painful thing to recognize when you are older in life and you are dying and it's the very end. But it, but in some regards, you had this wake-up call much earlier in your own life. It's my understanding that in your early 30s, 
uh, you get to a point where you are very successful. You are very much in demand. You are on more than 200 flights a year. And then you recognize, what what am I doing? Who, whose success am I chasing? Talk, explain to us that. Yes, you're exactly right. And, um, you know, I re- that really resonates with me, the leaning your ladder against the wrong wall. And it, it can have so many different meetings, meanings. But, um, yeah, so after leaving the Suns, I started my own company and, and had experienced some great success. And, and I things just got faster and faster and bigger. And I realized one day I was standing at the JFK airport. I was averaging about four hours of sleep a night. Like you said, one year was like 210 flights in a year. And, and basically I'm looking at the departure board and I can't remember where I'm standing and I have no clue where I'm supposed to go next. Was I next to you? And it took me long. What was that? I said, was I next to you? I'm to- totally joking, but I-, I think many of us travelers have felt that same sense of being adrift with where we are, right. where we're coming from, and where we're going to next. Exactly. Well, I finally figured it out, and then I walked over to a Starbucks to fuel up for the day and get some coffee, and I go to sign the um, debit card receipt, and John, I, f- I forgot my name. Ooh. I could not even come up with my name. And that was a moment where it was like the world, the universe was flashing. Hello, attention, you know, something's not right here. And um, I had been just running on off adrenaline and that fuel isn't very sustainable. Uh, But the outside didn't match the inside. Mm -hmm. You know, when you doing all these fancy things and I thought it was was so great which it was fun and and I was passionate about it um but I realized there was very little purpose in there and I had a purpose problem is what I call it and um it started to manifest in my health and all my relationships and that was a big wake-up call for me to uh take stock and try to start figuring out another formula because looking back, I was still, I had a chip on my shoulder and I was trying to prove (laughs) and I was really pushing and forcing and pressing from a place of trying to prove something, right? many things actually. And, um, and so I'm grateful to have had that, that realization you, you mentioned two big words, and I actually highlighted them on the chance that we might want to cover this during our conversation, but health and relationship. And I know you have a story on both of those. Uh, and I think what you lost uh, will open people up who are struggling right now in their health, in their relationships, in their finances, in their sense of lack of purpose or lack of clarity around their life that uh, they too can uh, take a deep breath, exhale, breathe back in, and then figure out the next best step forward. So, Amy, Joe, if you're open to talking about it, you, you mentioned health. What, what was the health crisis that you faced? Yeah, so I um, had just a normal doctor's appointment, and the doctor found a golf ball-sized lump in my breast. And I hadn't, I didn't even notice it, and... I was annoyed. 
because I didn't have time to deal with this. And so I remember thinking, I have these different things coming up. I'm only in town for like 24 hours. I don't have time for this. Mm. And the doctor was like, you need first a biopsy. Eventually they removed the lump. It was not cancerous. But there was also a wild goose chase because all of my um, different levels um, were like my white blood cell count was very low and there was concern because they couldn't figure out why some of these things were so off. And now looking back, it was probably like fatigue and and just pure exhaustion. Um, But long story short, I just, I was working so hard, but not on myself. And uh, it really started to manifest in, in the health side of things. And to go through that scare in my family, you know, worried before we found out that, right. you know, it wasn't cancerous right. and also trying to figure out why I'm always going to the doctor getting this blood work and getting these tests and stuff. I just didn't think it was that important. And uh, I realized now that was very irresponsible and and silly, uh, but that's where my head was. I just thought the only thing that was important was growing my company and um, and it, it was very demanding uh, but it was also you know the number one and so you know I had my marriage fall apart um, lots of relationships where you know it's, when you operate in that way under that operating system mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen it was kind of like being a little tornado through my own life um, and it took a while to un- unwind all of that and untangle all of that. You know, I, I find it so ironic that your job, if you will, is to teach the celebrities and the brands of the world to be human and to be present and to engage and to understand who they are and where they came from and where they're going next. That's your job and you're awesome at it. And then separately you are at home unwinding upside down relationships crumbling golf size balls in your breast and you need coffee to be awake you're forgetting your own name you're losing track of what you actually are and what actually matters so my my question amy joe is when do you hit reset and then remind yourself what it is that matters and and how can we do the same in our own lives without going through the crises that you went through Great question. Um, you know, it was it it was definitely a moment of trying to figure out why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And how do I you know, I built this thing with a team, lots of people relying on me. How what do I do next? Um, so it took me a couple of years to start to kind of recalibrate, mm-hmm. um, more sleep, of course, getting more help, um, meaning, you know, people just supporting me more, uh, both personally and professionally. And uh, I ended up exiting the company, and it was a very unusual way to do it. Uh, most people from the outside looking in, you know, it was very profitable from day one, and and they would expect, you know, a certain type of exit and a certain type of 
um, big acquisition. And I just decided at one point it was the company or me. And, you know, I, I look back at it and I think that's what saved my life was choosing me because um, I just don't think I would have made it too much longer. And I know that sounds like a pretty heavy statement, but it that's where things were headed. And, and so what a humbling season, right? I mean, yeah. you have all of this amazing exposure and success story, but the front of the stage didn't match behind the curtains. I, I didn't feel the way I was projecting, right? I was telling the story on social media and sharing the highlight reels and the real life story was different. And I think that's the danger sometimes, especially with social media. Hmm. And when we compare ourselves and, you know, I, I can't remember who, I think it might be Theodore Roosevelt that said, comparison is the thief of joy. (laughs) And I truly believe that. Um, But long story short, I had to pause. You know, I had to just stop for a second and start looking at the inside job. That's what I need to do. I started meditating. I started sleeping. Um... (laughs) And taking care of myself, and it wasn't an overnight. Like, I thought, maybe I'll just transition for a month or two. And um, it was a gradual thing, and I just realize now uh, how I, I had this, this forcing kind of mentality and vibe about me where I would just make things happen because I knew I could. And I realized, oh, gosh, well... Evidently, sometimes you're supposed to let things happen, too. That's awesome. And when you, how do you know the difference, right? And so I had all these awesome conversations with people I respect and getting advice and just learning from them. And I thought, why not start recording this and sharing some of these conversations with other people? Because I'm speaking with some of the most fascinating people, and, and I just know that they're valuable for others. Uh, their advice is. So I did. And I started a podcast called Why Not Now? And I didn't realize it at the time, but it's been more, you know, for me than it even has been for everyone else in terms of um, just seeking and getting some of the advice and direction and guidance from the people that I respect. And and it's been a pretty cool ride because I, I get to ask the questions that are on my mind and and it turns out they resonate with other people. And a big one is that intuition. I've always kind of thrown away been such an analytical person, so black kind of black and white, very physical world and um I kind of thought the intuition, like what's your gut say, was a little woo woo. And now I realize there are probably many times when my intuition just wanted to, it was probably screaming at me, but I just wasn't listening. I didn't know how to listen. Well, see, and I, I would suggest even the idea of uh, random acts of shackness, like that is your intuition. That That's not Arizona State University's marketing class 101 saying, hey, maybe we can do this with Shaq. 
That's intuition. And the great leaps forward in life always come from intuition. And where, where that source comes from, we can have a conversation around that. But but I am a believer in intuition and uh, in not only listening to it, but occasionally talking back, having a two-way conversation with it. Oh, I love that. Well, it's, you know, if you would have asked me three or four, three years ago, what's your intuition say? <laughs> right. I would have joked and rolled my eyes and said, should we get out a magic eight ball and ask that or right. a Ouija board? What do you mean? And um, I just couldn't hear that voice. I didn't really trust, I didn't trust that it was real. And now I'm definitely learning. And I'm a very kind of tangible, tactical type of person. So one of my favorite questions to ask other people, like I would love to know from you, what tool do you use to listen, mm. like, to be able to tap into that intuition? Awesome. I'll answer, but then I'll ask the exact same of you. So get ready for it because it's, it's coming back. But for me, <laughs> I, I use meditation. I use prayer. I use silence. I, I have a radio in my car, but I almost never use it. And I, I use journaling. I think one of the great ways to not only hear, but to speak quietly is to journal. And so that's why I begin almost every podcast by encouraging all of our listeners, listeners right now, to journal, to write this stuff down. And then at the end of each evening to journal. So what more can I do to live into it? So I've I've been journaling actively for over four years. And I think, you know, whether you call it intuition or listening or whatever, God, uh, there's no doubt there, there's an awful lot to learn if you have the audacity and the space to just sit back. You took a year on a boat to sit back and listen. So I, I do it every night, regardless of how busy I am. So th- there's my answer, Amy Jill. I'm, I'm curious, though, what, what's yours? Mm, there's some similar parallels for sure. Um, and I agree on the journaling. The, the big thing for me has been practicing meditation which I, I guess I kind of tricked myself into it. So mm. I had heard that, oh, you'll have better ideas come to you if you meditate, which, which kind of is true, but that's <laughs> right. not necessarily the number one benefit of right. meditation. So I was like, oh, cool, sign me up. Um, so I started very small and have grown over the last, I'd say, three years. Um, that's helped. Nature helps me. Yeah. So, hence living in the forest. I, I just feel more connected. And, um, and it's, it's quiet where I live. Yeah. You know, I travel a lot, so I'm able to acclimate and kind of get back. Um, but it's, it's definitely a um, slowing down really helps me. So you mentioned you know, silence. For me, it's like just pausing mm-hmm. and checking in, and and I'm learning more and more that my body tells me, and it's a GPS system. So if I can tune in to whether I feel anxious, if I get goosebumps, mm. if something starts, uh, you know, just something changes, then usually it means something. No so that's been fascinating. So let's talk about that silence. My social media for me is the great enemy and the great friend all in one. Like I really struggle candidly. Listeners, don't judge me by this. Just hear me through with social media because I think sometimes it is either self-serving or worse. And yet it is the genesis of so much 
good and connectivity and the creation of positive impact. So, Amy Joe, you are on the, the front side of the spear, teaching people how to use this for good. I understand that you heard a presidential debate. You know, you, here you are, a woman with 1.2 plus million followers online, and you heard a presidential presidential debate, and it was so full of anger and hatred. Then you checked online afterwards, and you realized everyone online was even more anger angry riddled than the presidential candidates themselves. And so you took a walk the following day, and you almost gave it up. You you almost like walked away from this thing that had been your lifeline and your career for more than a decade. I'm curious though, what brought you back? Yeah, it's um, what brought me back was remembering why I got, why I fell in love with it in the first place. Uh, But it took me a minute to get around because I realize now, you know, humans decide, we decide how we want to engage with social. And um, we decide who we want to follow, what we want to be exposed to, what we consume. And so, to a certain extent, we have a lot of control mm-hmm. over what, you know, what we uh, choose to be exposed to or not. Um, what brought me back around was remembering um, the Japan earthquake evening, the evening that that happened, that that um, started to go down. I... I realized something about social media that I hadn't yet. And so this was, I think it was March 11th, 2011. When the Japan earthquake happened, I saw the devastation of the just unfolding on television. Mm-hmm. And I saw it was trending on Twitter, of course. Um, but the, the TV, the, the news broadcasts at the time were just kind of using social to report what had happened. And I was thinking, no, this is still happening. It's happening real time right now. Minute to minute, things are developing. And it went from the earthquake to the tsunami. And is there going to be a tsunami? And where is it hitting next? And so I thought, wait, we need to be using the space differently. I realized that a lot of people were sharing where they were, if they were trapped. There were medical um, first responders using Twitter, and I didn't know what to do. I'm not a trained journalist, but I thought maybe I'll just share the information I'm hearing that I'm finding most valuable and kind of let it rise to the top and push it to the top through my large following on Twitter, which is which was over a million people. So I just started retweeting and shifting information from one set of hands to the other and tagging first responders and People were sharing dial-out codes and maps of where the tsunami would hit next and and what times. And it was the most powerful, purposeful moment of my life. Mm. And I realized with the click of a button, someone could potentially save someone else's life because of social media, because we are not bound by anything other than the speed of technology, which is pretty fast. And there are no geographic barriers. So it was this huge awakening of the power of the space. And that's what brought me back. Mm. I almost deleted my accounts after that uh, presidential debate because I was just so tired of the dissonance and the just the, the yes. evilness and the people, you know, just back and forth. And, and then I realized, wait a minute, this is, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
for those of us who engage with social media, uh, not all of us having you know a couple million followers, but we all are on one of these platforms. What's the best advice that you might offer to the rest of us on not only how to listen through a lens that brings us information that really elevates and encourages, but also how to have a communication outbound where we share and we post and we create content that is life-giving or at least in line with the values that we believe and hold fast to? Yeah, I've, you know, my first go-to is identify your value, figure out what you have to offer other people. And that can come in so many different forms through education, reciprocation, uh, entertainment, uh, exclusive information. It's, it's all, there's so many different ways to bucket that, but identify your value because the golden rule really of social media is to deliver value when, where, and how your audience wants to receive it. And the other tip, and I'd say this is just as important, but first you got to take care of home base. And if you are finding you're hopping into Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, and you're just feeling drained and you're, you're finding yourself just scrolling and comparing or getting annoyed, stop following those accounts. You know, check in and see how you feel. You wouldn't invite them over to hang out with right. you for dinner or why would you even take the time to be exposed to accounts that aren't bringing you positive energy? So I think sometimes we just kind of live with it we once followed or something and then we forget that we can That's actually awesome unfollow. Advice. It's so obvious and we miss what is right in front of us. So, uh, Amy Joe, great advice. I, I love, I love encouragement. I love inspiration. I love enthusiasm for life. And I, I, uh, witnessed a video you shared where you talk about a little one named Willow, uh, Willow living in the UK. She's your niece. She's three years old and she's got some rock star dance moves that she's teaching you. I'd like you to talk briefly about Willow, your little little niece. But in addition to the dance that she taught you, if you remember, Amy Jo, what was the question she asked you afterwards? She's three years old with her cute little British accent. And <laughs> she said, do I look pretty? Auntie Amy, do I look pretty? And it just, oh, it just kind of broke my heart. But it was also a huge opportunity for me to realize that that's just going through a three-year-old's mind, but also to tell her, Willow, you just taught me this entire mm -hmm. dance. You're so smart. Look at what you did. You remembered all those moves. And, um, and it was a really big moment because the rest of the day, she would go up and say, I'm smart. <laughs> I'm smart, dad. Um, but it was, you know, it's something that a th for a three-year-old to be asking that question mm. is an indicator that we have a lot of work to do when it comes to what, how we assign value to ourselves and, um, and self-worth because that's, that's a pretty young age to be taking that's on right. the burden of already fearful of your your self-image. Do you remember how you pivoted her away from the outside beauty to uh, what she could teach others? 
yeah, I, I didn't answer the question, do I look pretty? I didn't say, yes, Willow, of course. I said, Willow, do you realize you just taught me this whole dance and, and went back to having her understand that she had to remember these moves, that that takes, that, that's, she's smart, you know, that takes skill and talent. And I just didn't even address the pretty at the time. And, and so that was the pivot. Mm. And by the way, this is totally on, on a tangent, but I think the best teachers, Amy Joe, seldom answer the questions. Not, not directly. It, it's, almost, it's almost always in pivoting. And then frequently in asking the question back that people come to the answer ultimately they were seeking in the first place. I, I think what you did for the three-year-old is in some regards what you do that makes you so powerful as a teacher. You, you remind us that the answers are already within us and now we've got to go do the hard work of figuring it out. Exactly. I realize that too. It's like just asking questions and and not necessarily answering. I've found that with some of my mentors. They do that to me and um, usually that leads the person to their own answer. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like a, an odd peeping Tom. I've, I've read everything that you have written, I think, including your incredible book, Renegade Rules. I have read articles that you've written, articles that have been written about you. And one of the articles that I stumbled into was in Shape Magazine. I don't frequently read Shape Magazine, contrary to popular belief. I just naturally have this incredible physique for those who've met me personally. Uh, and for those who really know me, they know that's a complete joke. I, uh, I'm just grateful to be alive, by the way. But Amy was nominated as one of the not only most successful women, but in, as in shape, one of the top 25 in shape women. And so I'm reading through this article. And to get to her, I come um, I think read all the way through this article. And there are example after example after example of all these other successful women who are also in shape. And this uh, this. This is the, just the reality. They were in various stages of yoga fatigue, but bikini outfits coming out of the pool with green drinks and everything else. And then you stumble onto Amy's picture, and she's wearing this really light hoodie sweatshirt. Looks like she's maybe, you know, like in Portland, Oregon. It's kind of overcast outside. She's got a beautiful, radiant smile on. But Amy and Joe, I'm wondering, did you select that picture on purpose to remind the readers of shape what beauty looks like, that it, that it's not just how we fit into the yoga pants and the bikini, but it, it's, it's even bigger and better than that. Yeah, I, I, it's been a mission, I guess, of mine without realizing it and without intentionally kind of setting out, it's, which is more intentional now. Yeah. Um, it, we, there's just, there's so many areas where we can easily go to compare ourselves. And I, I think it just isn't great for uh, young women, for women of any age and men too, for that matter. So, yeah, I guess, um, you know, it's, it's a lifelong journey with my own challenges with self image, body image, and uh, what we always what we see on that is is not always, you know, the case, especially having um, worked in various fields and mm -hmm. in, in entertainment and where people are largely judged by what they look like mm -hmm. and seeing a little behind, behind the curtains. I think some people would be shocked at the insecurities or, you know, the plastic surgery or all of that stuff. Um, so it's, 
I just don't think it's healthy to to try and project a, an image of perfection because it's we all know it. Right. It isn't real. But sometimes I think we forget. Well said. And Amy Joe, you you wrote the future of technology is the future of humanity. I think it's a powerful quote. It, it uh, is uh, a bold statement. But in saying that and in writing that, do you believe that the future of humanity and the technology is positive? What's your take as you look forward from where we are today? You know, the the root of it are humans. So we we decide. Um, humanity will decide if you know which direction we go. And um, there's such a powerful opportunity to use it for good. And I choose to believe mm. that, yes, we will take it in a positive direction uh, and set that intention out there as well. Um, and, yeah. I, I choose that as well. And I know that you uh, don't only believe that, but model that, teach it, and encourage the rest of us to to follow behind and to pursue that. So Amy Joe, we we with every podcast ask seven questions of our guests. It, it it ties all of us together. So question number one for you is what is the best book that you have ever read? Mm, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. You are the eleventh of, you know, ninety or so guests who have shared that Viktor Frankl's work was so and remains so powerful. was there a lesson specifically within that 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 hits you, one that we need to be reminded of? Yeah, I think he at the end when he just realizes that his why <laughs> is to help other people find their why, pretty much, was I mean the whole thing yeah. really, but there's something about just bringing it home and um, it, in that way for me that resonated. Amy Jo, what, what's one positive characteristic or one trait, if you prefer, that you possessed as a child that you wish you possessed a little bit more of today? Playfulness. Yeah, awesome. If your home caught fire... And all living things, people and pets, are out safely, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What would you grab? Hmm. I would say as many journals. I have so many journals from over the years, so many. Um, we're fortunate now, I mean, to have most of our photos backed up. Mm. So it would have been photos. My parents actually did have their home um lost in a fire so we're missing some of those but i would say journals is there one in particular i know i'm really getting down into the weeds here but is there a season of life in particular where if you only had that that one inch grasp that you would grab one journal one season of life maybe that 2011 12 season when i was just really struggling Mm. to be able to reflect and look back on it and and continue to learn from it. If you could sit on a bench with that journal in hand, but overlooking a gorgeous beach on a perfect day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to have that long visit with? My great-great-grandfather, who um, was the founder of the city that I live nearby. Wow. 
what would you ask your great-great-grandfather first? I'd probably ask him about intuition. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would. So how do you know to yeah. make things happen versus let them happen? That's like, awesome. literally, tell me how you know. <laughs> and what would he say back in his, uh, in the wisdom of the day? How would he respond? Oh, I'd, I think he'd be a pretty simple character yeah. and just say, listen, or you just know. Yeah. And maybe be a little confused by the question because <laughs> right. it was so obvious to him and not obvious to me. That's awesome. <laughs> Ivy, what, what's the best advice that you've ever received? I think be where your feet are. Hmm. What does that mean to you? Being present, not, you know, borrowing from yesterday or tomorrow and trying to be really present. What would you tell your 20-year-old self, this ASU kid moving toward a wild run? What would you tell yourself as a 20-year-old? I would tell her that she has nothing to prove. Mm -hmm. I hope she shares that with all of her friends. I do too. Final question, Amy, Joe, Martin. It has been said that all great people, and I have the honor of being with one right now live, all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I can do it in one word, and I think it's grateful. Um, Gratitude. Gratitude is a strategy. Amy Jo Martin, you have said before that social media is the ultimate equalizer. It gives a voice and a platform to anyone willing to engage and use it. We all have that voice. Use it. Uh, I hear those words loud and clear, and I hope our friends listening right now at home are hearing those words loud and clear. We are grateful to use your word for your time, for your work, for your heart, for your experiences, for your fights, and for all that you have to share with us. Thank you so much for having me on the show, John. This has been lovely, and I am just a big fan of yours. <laughs> more and more, so I appreciate I appreciate this time. Well, you are an awesome dance partner, and uh, I am going to leave here, uh, head home to my four babies and my wife. And what will be carrying me forward tonight is to be where your feet are, John. I think all of us. No one's perfect. No one's. Uh, no one gets through the day without missing this one. We focus way too frequently on yesterday or tomorrow, and Amy Jo Martin has reminded me, and now my friends, you, wake up, man. Wake up. Be where your feet are. And uh, Amy, I heard you loud and clear on that one. Oh, thank you. My friends, that is Amy Jo Martin. She is awesome. You want to learn more about her? Amy Jo, where can we learn more about the work that you're doing today? Yeah, amyjomartin.com is my website. And on all social media platforms, I am at Amy Joe Martin. Well, Amy Joe Martin, this is John O'Leary. And my friends, this is your day. Be where your feet are and live inspired. My friends, I want to take a quick moment to give you a special invitation. If you enjoy the Live Inspired podcast, what would you say to joining me live once a month? And not just joining me, but hundreds of other like-minded, live-inspired community members. And what if you could do it from the comfort of your own home? 
My friends, Live Inspired in studio with John O'Leary is exactly this, a gathering of our Live Inspired community members once a month for a live inspirational webcast. Let's do life together. Registration for in-studio only happens twice a year. And here's a secret, it's opening soon. Don't miss it. Sign up right now. Be one of the very first to know when Live Inspired in-studio registration opens. You can go right now, check it out. It's at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. One more time, it's johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio.